fiancés, thank you so much for tuning into the Hello Prenup podcast, where we discuss all things finances, relationships, trends, and of course, prenups. And as people who spend all day, every day, thinking about how we can improve the lives of couples all over the world at any stage in their relationship, we thrive in helping engaged couples start their marriage off on the right foot with empathy, compassion, and of course, protection. Our guest today is Lisa Ziderman. Lisa is the managing partner and family and matrimonial attorney at Miller Ziderman LLP based in New York. She's also a CFL and certified divorce financial analyst who regularly handles complex financial and custody divorce matters, as well as pre and post nuptial agreements for high net worth individuals. She's named the Cranes New York list of notable women attorneys for 2021 and 2023, as well as a Cranes New York notable diverse lawyer for 2022 and a Hudson Valley best lawyer in 2022, 2023, and 2024, among many other awards. Lisa is a founding member of the American Academy of Certified Financial Litigators and a member of the Panel for Attorneys for Children. In addition to authoring a well-read blog on psychology today, legal matters, understanding mental health issues as they apply to divorce and child custody, Ms. Ziderman is regularly published in Financial Advisor Magazine, the New York Law Journal, and by the Forbes Business Council. She is also interviewed on issues ranging from financial empowerment to tax issues to child custody and a host of media and podcasts that speaks on those issues as well. Ms. Siderman, a Fordham University Law graduate, also serves as the VP of the Executive Board of Savvy Ladies, is the president of the Justice Brand Society, and serves on the board of Family Legal Care, formerly known as LIFT, Legal Information for Families Today. She's also a member of the Ford's Business Council and Chief, and most importantly, an incredible advocate for everyone who wants to get approachable, accessible family law services and information. She's also a huge supporter of Hello Prenup and has worked regularly with our clients. Without further ado, here is Lisa Ziderman. Hi, Lisa. It's so nice to have you on the Hello Prenup podcast. How are you? I'm great. Hi, Lauren. It's so great to be here. We are so, so excited to have you here. And yes, it is so great to be here with you. But first and foremost, we'd love to jump right in. How did you get into family law? Ah, So it's a little bit of a story, Lauren. Um, I was in the fashion business. I had graduated high school and gone straight into the fashion business, worked at Macy's actually as a manager, and then went to work for a manufacturer on 7th Avenue, and then decided, because I have that entrepreneurial spirit, to open up my own showroom on 7th Avenue. And I worked with designers across the country, marketing their product and working with young designers to develop their product to actually sell to major retailers did a lot of traveling, a lot of trade shows, all of that. And then I went through my own divorce. And I decided as I was going through my own divorce that first I found the financial aspects incredibly interesting, including business valuations and um, lifestyle analysis, et cetera. And that I also felt like I could be really helpful to people because What I learned as I was going through it, that everything for somebody going through divorce feels like it's an emergency. And it may not be an emergency, frankly, but it feels like it's an emergency. And the person needs response because if they don't get a response, they're going to do something that probably wasn't the best thing to do at that moment. And so I thought to myself, if I could just be that attorney 
who is able to respond to calls and respond to emails and text messages. And, and frankly, I do it during vacations and I do it during the weekends. And I do it sometimes when, you know, it's midnight and I'm, I'm still, you know, coming home from dinner and I'm thinking, and my husband is saying to me, you're answering text messages. Who could be texting you right now? (laughs) And, um, but I, what I learned was that if people actually are in this urgent need, if they're in this very stressful situation, for both their children and their finances, that it's it is a 24-7 type of situation. And although we can't always be 24-7, we do our best to be as responsive as possible. And that really helps people, I think, through their cases. And I felt like I could be that person who could be that responsive. That's amazing. And then at some point you said, oh, to heck with it. I'm going to become a full-on attorney and I'm really going to help people. So how did you transition to that? So what I did was I actually, when I just made this decision, I had to go get my bachelor degree, which I did at Fordham. And I got my undergrad at Fordham. And then I went on to Fordham Law in Manhattan and received my law degree from Fordham Law, worked for a solo practitioner at that point, and decided that I really wanted to be able to litigate as well as to negotiate Um, worked for another firm, and then decided it's time to start my own practice, which I started in 2013. And we just celebrated our 10th year anniversary in November of 2020. And we are now, you know, 40 plus people in my law firm with fabulous um, partners and associates and, and really strong, prepared, um, great advocates, um, and very interested in really helping people. Incredible. And that hotline of you graduating from just texting people and being a resource has evolved to this beautiful organization. Can you tell us more about Savvy Ladies? Sure. So I am now chair of the board of Savvy Ladies. Savvy Ladies is a non-for-profit organization, and it is geared to empowering women financially. And one of the secret sauces that we have at Savvy Ladies is our helpline which people can um, you know, go online, get paired with a financial professional one-on-one and ask their financial questions. And it's all for free. And it's women from any walk of life and it's nationwide. And it's a fabulous resource. So it's SavvyLadies.org. And we also actually worked on an app, which people can download um, for Savvy Ladies with NASDAQ. And it was an incredibly exciting year. We actually, um, you know, closed the um, rang the bell at Nasdaq this year, and it it was it was incredible in 2023. So it it was very exciting, and it's an incredible organization. We do webinars, we do panel discussions. We're right in the middle of our series of panel discussions, um, which um, Julia Rogers is going to be on on, I believe, July um, February 7th. And I'm hoping you're going to be on it too um, to talk about prenups and postnups. But we also talk about divorce and family court and Supreme Court and all of those great things. And it's a five-part series. Last night, we had actually a computer forensic expert and we also had a accounting forensic expert. So it was very exciting. We had about 70 women on Zoom and lots of great information happens. And um, we will be certainly doing that for the next few weeks on um, Wednesday evenings, I think. That is 
Absolutely incredible, Lisa. You are amazing. The fact that you took something that was really traumatic and stressful for you and you said, I'm going to help people with this and for it to just completely exceed expectations and take off and help so many people, including women, is super admirable. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. So because of your personal experience, and now you've had over a decade's worth of experience doing it professionally, how does your personal experience and your professional experience shape your approach to family law today? So I think that I have learned that you have to take a deep breath. You have to look at what the actual issue is. And you also have to look at the long-term. What is going to be my long-term goal? You know, I understand a lot of women get into a situation as they go through this, where they feel that they don't have enough funding or they are stressed to the max or you know, somebody is giving them a really hard time, their their ex-spouse, and putting as much pressure on them as possible. And unfortunately, that is part of what happens during a divorce. But you need to be able to stay the course. And you need to be able to look at what the long-term game here is, because this is absolutely a marathon. It is not a sprint. And you have to think about what the end game is and what you really want in the end and stick to it and work with your attorney and work strategically with your attorney. It's not, everything is not an emergency. Everything is not, um, you know, it's not 911 for everything. There are things that can be resolved and some things that may not be able to be resolved right now. Amazing. And I think that's such a simple thing that everyone can do is just slow down and realize that time is on your side and breathe so that everybody can make the best strategic decision without having to do it, you know, with somebody breathing down your neck to get it done. Amazing. And so that we've talked a little bit about divorce and what's happening when people are married and reach a crisis. Is there anything that folks should be doing before they get married to try to mitigate some of the nasty stuff that happens once they're calling you in a panic? So, you know, that's the secret sauce to marriage, right, is the prenup. And it, it is absolutely. And I say this in so many different ways. Yesterday, I was speaking to a wealth management group and we were talking about how women can protect themselves, whether they are. Um, women who have great careers or women who are stay-at-home moms, and they can protect themselves, believe it or not, in the very same way. They need to enter into a prenuptial agreement. They need to have that roadmap, which a prenuptial agreement really provides for them as to what's going to happen when, um, when, if there is a divorce or even a death. And what, right, because it's also what happens in the event that your spouse dies and people often overlook that that's part of a prenup. Um, But what are they going to do if they're going to be stay-at-home moms? How are they going to make sure that they actually have enough support on the other end if something happens and they are in a situation where they're divorced? Because the other spouse is likely, okay, while you're, you know, being that stay-at-home mom, that spouse is growing up the corporate ladder and they, there is a, um, a growth in terms of income and responsibility that you will never recover if you're out of the workforce for a very long time. Yet you want to be supportive and you want to take care of your children and you want to take care of your spouse. And, you know, it's all great 
Um, but you need to make sure that you're covered at that other end. So how is support going to be paid for? How long is it going to be paid? Is there going, what is the division of the assets going to be? If there's a family business or another type of business, how is that going to be paid out, divided? How are you making sure that you're protected? And then if you are the spouse who has the career and is supporting the other spouse, well, are you looking at it in a way that actually makes sense, right? Are you going to want to pay that alimony later, that child support later, or should you be encouraging your spouse to actually build his or her career so that they too can grow up that corporate ladder? And perhaps, you know, it's nobody's going to be that completely stay-at-home parent. Um, there's so many different aspects of this, but the most important thing is that in a prenup, you can decide your fate. You and your 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 soon-to-be spouse can decide at a point when you're really getting along, when you're, you know, allegedly in love completely and you want to protect each other, right? You can decide how this is all going to work. And I think that that's very important, whether you have no assets or lots of assets and premarital property. Okay. I have so many questions for you, but I'll try to go in order. <laughs> not stress you out with them. Okay. So all of that makes sense. We're sold. What happens if we don't get a prenup and based on all the scenarios you just threw out so we can judge whether or not a prenup is right for them? Okay. So I'm going to talk about New York, but you know, Lauren, that um, New York is different than, uh, you know, every other state in certain ways, right? So Connecticut, which is right near us, it has some different rules. California is community property. So I'm going to talk to New York because that is my my area. Okay. Perfect. In 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 New York, um, you are going to be looking at equitable distribution of property. And the most important, and you're going to be looking at whether there's spousal support, you may be looking at child support, um, and and then there's legal and expert fees. And one of the things that you need to make sure that you've done, if you don't have a prenuptial agreement, is that you have preserved any premarital property that you have, meaning property that you had prior to the marriage. So maybe you own an apartment in Manhattan. Maybe you own a house in the Hamptons. Perhaps you have brokerage accounts, retirement accounts. Perhaps this is a second or third marriage. Um, You may have inheritances. You may get inheritances during the marriage. How do you preserve those without a prenup? It's entirely possible. It's just a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that you keep those those assets separate and apart. And so for a house, for example, I wouldn't necessarily add your spouse's name to the premarital house. If you do, probably a prenup would be a good idea, but you also need to keep in mind that you may get what's called a separate property credit. So let's just say the house is worth a million dollars at the time that you get married, and now the house is worth $3 million. And let's just say you did a lot of work to the house to get to that $3 million. You fixed up the kitchens, you redid the bathrooms, you, you know, you chopped down the trees, you added a pool, you did all those things. That $1 million that you came into the marriage with as equity in your house, that may very well be your separate property and you may get a separate property credit. You may have to fight for it harder than if it was written in your prenup, but it should be yours. Let's just say that you came into the marriage with certain retirement accounts. Those retirement accounts, the values as of the date that you got married should be yours. Now, 20 years later, you have to prove it. In New York, it is your burden to prove separate property. 
It is your burden to trace the separate property. If you didn't keep the statements, if your spouse is not saying, well, yeah, I agree, you have those retirement accounts, you may be out of luck. And so, you know, one one way to do it is to make sure that you have kept your paperwork, that you have kept those retirements separate and apart. Maybe you decide you're going to open different retirement accounts when you get married instead of rolling over. It's those rollovers, by the way, that always create the problem because you got to trace the rollovers. And that's hard to do from institution to institution sometimes. So keeping it separate and apart. And then you need to get out of this idea. And, and so many people come to me with this idea. They come in and they say, well, Lisa, this is, we don't have to worry about this at all. This is all my separate property. And I say, okay, but to have this account prior to marriage, absolutely. I said, and then what did you do? Well, I put my income in. It was my income. I didn't put any of, of the other person's income in. I put my income. Okay, but now you've added income to that. And now you've done what's called commingling. And it wasn't just for the convenience of moving the money from account to account quickly, you actually commingled the account. You've never taken it out. You've never moved it or you or you did take it out. And now we can't even differentiate it. And it wasn't just for a few days, a few weeks, a few months. You left it there. And this was your account that you used for all of your, your, your bills, your expenses. And now it's commingled. And I can't undo that likely. And so it's very important that you keep those accounts separate and apart now. The, the, the worst thing I always hear is when somebody actually has spent their separate property, has spent, I'm sorry, all the marital property, and they've kept their separate property and the other, the other person, and all the marital property is spent and all the separate property is gone, okay? If you don't save your separate property, if you don't preserve it, if you don't maintain it, if it's gone, I can't give it back to you. It's nothing to give back. It's gone. It, it, you you spent it on, you know, camp or you spent it on that vacation that you guys loved, you know, when you went to Barbados or wherever you went, it's gone. So you have to be super careful. If you spend down your inheritance, if you spend down your separate property, if you spend down your premarital property, it is gone forever. So wow. you've got to keep it separate. And keep you've got to keep the records. Exactly. And keep the records separate and organized and on top of it. And how many people are actually doing that? Probably not a whole lot because they're not thinking about one, I'm ever going to get divorced someday. And two, that I need to keep organized or else I'm going to have to prove this. The ownership is on me to have to prove this later, which in, in and of itself kind of sounds like your own forensic accountant, your, your own attorney at some point. And who's walking into a marriage thinking like that? Absolutely nobody. Right. Nobody is, uh, except that they've been married once. Right. right? <laughs> Exactly. Unless so, they've been there before. <laughs> right. They, they may actually have thought about it, but they probably went and got that prenup. Amen. And if they did it, we want them on the podcast because we want to talk about why. Um, okay. So we're sold. A prenup sounds like a much more organized, empowering document that really mitigates all of these nasty conversations that we're going to have to have later because it provides a way to track and organize. What are some things we need to talk about and discuss when it comes to prenups? For example, something like separate property. So usually you are you, you should sit down with your attorney and and speak about your goals. I usually do a 1 hour consult. We talk about what the goals that you have are, what the goals that your spouse to be is. You should have hopefully had some conversation with your spouse to be. This is not the kind of thing that you just want to spring on this person the day before or the week before or 10 days before. It's much better 
And there's going to be a much better feeling as you're walking down the aisle for both parties if they've had enough time to think about it, negotiate it, work with an attorney on it. So, but what they should be thinking about is what do I want? What's my roadmap? What's my expectation? Of, of how we're going to conduct ourselves during during our lives. Do we think we're going to have children? Are we going to live in the home that I, you know that that I own, right? And and that um are we going to sell that home eventually? Do we want to have a home in joint names? What is that going to mean? What's going to happen with our income? Are we going to keep it in separate accounts? Are we going to pool our income? Is it going to be divided on some sort of a percentage basis um, when it's an asset? What do we do with our taxes every year? If I have a lot of separate property, well, my spouse shouldn't really be paying necessarily the taxes that are on the distributions and dividends of my separate property. So we need to make sure all of those bells and whistles are, are in there. We also need to talk about what happens if somebody dies. You know, in New York, we have the right to election, right? Which is that if there's no will at all, or you've cut me out of the will, I still get a third of the estate. But you can waive out of that in the prenup, okay? And so you can actually agree that, you know, all my separate property is going to be mine and I can put it, give it to whoever I want. It can go back to my estate. It can be distributed to my nieces and my nephews. Um, but what if I have, what if we have children? What's going to happen to it then? What's going to happen to our assets in that case? Life insurance. Are we going to have life insurance? Is that how much life insurance is each person going to be mandated to carry? Um, so there are so many different parts uh, of a prenup and we discuss all of it. The only thing that we cannot do is we can't actually contract for an unborn child. So we can't contract for custody for an unborn child and we cannot contract for child support. Now, in a prenup, we can contract for both of those subject to the fact that the court could and if the court does not believe that the custody arrangement that you've chosen is a fair arrangement and is in the best interests, most importantly, in the best interests of the child, the court could determine that that, that post-up does not stand up with regard to custody. Be careful. And child support can be modified for lots of different reasons, um, which I'm not going to get into right now, but um, certainly things happen in life and child support sometimes gets modified. So those are all of the things that you could talk about. We usually talk about what's going to happen in terms of a, a residence, whether the residence is going to be kept by one party. Maybe that party will have the option to buy out the other party. Maybe it's that person's premarital property and it just stays with that person. Um, who's going to vacate? How long is it going to be before they vacate? Um, if there's a child involved, perhaps they're not going to vacate until after there's a temporary or final custody um, agreement or order. So these are all things that we we put into a prenup. It's a complex document. It's very thorough and complex, but it's very thoughtful. And, and let's go down every path that we can. So while we're on the, we've, we've covered a ton, but what about something like debt? What happens then? So it's a great question because sometimes people come to us and they um, are marrying somebody or have student loan debt, for example, and they can provide that they're going to pay it jointly, or they can provide that the other person is going to be responsible to pay it from their income, or they can actually provide that the other person is going to be responsible to pay it from their separate property. Or it could be a credit later against equitable distribution of the assets. But if they don't 
do something about that student debt and they pay it all the way through the marriage, likely there'll be no credits because the court is just not going to take that look-see to figure out why did these people pay this debt? Was this a good idea? Um, what was the deal? Because likely they paid something else too. And so once they start going down that road, who paid for the groceries, who paid for the student debt, who paid for the mortgage, it, it, it's just, uh, it, it, it obviously, the lines would be around the block probably a hundred times at that courthouse. So they, they just can't do it. So debt is definitely something, um, credit card debt. If you come into the marriage with credit card debt, you can decide how it's going to be paid. Same as student loan debt. If you actually have debt during, if you accrue debt during the marriage, you can decide, you know, who's going to be responsible for that debt. If it's in my name, maybe I'm going to be responsible. Maybe that's what the prenup says. If it's in a joint names on a joint credit card where we're both, you know, primary and secondary holders, Perhaps we're going to agree that that's the family card and we're just going to split any debt 50-50. So again, lots of different ways to handle it, but it should be handled. Definitely. And I know we already talked a little bit about what happens if I don't get a prenup and I understand what happens to assets, but what happens if we don't have a prenup and we do bring debt into the marriage? It could be divided equitably, just like the assets. So you may end up being responsible for 50% of that debt and you come to me and you say, I didn't charge anything. And, um, you know, I didn't know that he or she was spending all that money um, and that we didn't have enough money. And we, you know, we couldn't have gone out to all those dinners. Um, you know, we shouldn't have gone out to all those dinners, but you did it. You, you went out to those dinners. You bought that clothing. And maybe you weren't aware that there wasn't enough financially to do that. But perhaps you need to make yourself aware. One of the things that we hear, a term that we hear tossed around all the time is in the best interest of. How is in the best interest of decided? I know there's many different examples to pull from. In a child custody case, it's in the best interest of the child. But let's say there are no children and it's just in the best interest of the lower earning spouse or the higher earning spouse. What is played around in consideration in that in that statement? So in New York, we don't really talk about best interest unless we're really talking about a child. Um, We are talking about fairness and dividing in equity in terms of um, dividing equitably. So it's about more about contribution when we divide the assets. So, for example, you know, I have a business and I work, you know, I don't know, 100 hours. I probably do. (laughs) And um, and maybe my spouse, this isn't the case. Maybe my spouse does nothing. Maybe my spouse is just, uh, you know, super, super. um, Maybe my spouse is actually committing domestic violence. That's a factor, actually, in in dividing assets. Maybe my spouse is making it more difficult for me to go to work. Maybe my spouse, on the other hand, worked in my business. Maybe my spouse helped put together my business, did, um, you know, the the HR for my business or um, actually work, you know, put together the entire business, the computers, all of this. That's contribution. Maybe my spouse took care of the children and went to the dry cleaners and did the grocery shopping and did all of that so I could actually go to work and have a free and clear head, that's contribution. It's indirect contribution. So we look at direct and we look at indirect contributions. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'd love to dig into a little bit more about prenups as like an empowering tool for individuals, in particular for women. 
Why do you think women should consider a prenup? So look, we see so many women who, first of all, do not have any um, real grasp of the finances. And it's not that they ever had a grasp of the finances. They came into the marriage. They really didn't know what, what their spouse-to-be was what, had and had no idea what, you know, whether there should be a smaller budget, um, a bigger budget. They were just, they were given some sort of, and I hate to say the word allowance, but they were, okay? Um, or some money was given to them every week, or there was some sort of money put into an account for them to spend, or they were given a spending limit on a credit card. Um, but they had no real idea of what the assets, the liabilities were, um, and what was happening. A prenup is the beginning of that conversation. It is the beginning of empowering you to speak about finances. And I think for a lot of women, I'm, I actually am not one of them. I, I actually um, talk about money all the time, okay, um, and finances, because I think it's it's an important topic. The world works on finance, and um, and the world revolves around finance. And I don't, I think that people who try to deny this, it's just not the case. And so, but for many women, having that voice at the table in terms of the prenup and negotiating that prenup and understanding what the finances are on day one, and then staying active in those financial affairs is so empowering to them because the, it's knowledge. Knowledge is power. And if you have no knowledge at the beginning, and somebody doesn't want to talk about what their financial situation is at the beginning. They don't want to talk about their loans. They don't want to talk about the debt. They don't want to talk about their assets. They don't want to talk about their liabilities. It's a problem. And it should turn off like major red flags, like there's a problem here. Um, they also are empowered because they actually can negotiate their future. It really is a roadmap. I mean, I, I don't just, it is, it, it is the roadmap for you from the beginning to possibly the end of this marriage. And, and whether it be by divorce or by, um, by, by death, you, you know what you're looking at. If you are entering into a prenup, for example, where you know that all the income is going to be your spouse's and all your income is going to be yours, well, then it may not be so smart to be that stay-at-home parent. It may not be so smart to put your career on hold for someone else's, but you are then empowered to make that decision. You have control of your destiny. And I so, think that's what a prenup does. I could not agree more. Um, so personally, I have been that person where I was bringing in Cheez-Its and a 20-year-old BMW to the marriage, and he's bringing in you know millions of dollars. And it was very clear in our one-sided prenup that everything was going to be his. And I ended up quitting my job. I ended up staying at home and raising our kids and it didn't work out. And then spoiler alert, I was kind of left with nothing and I had to go back to work, get back on my feet, et cetera. So going back to old Lauren, using me as an example, what are some creative things that we could have put in the prenup to ensure that once I entered back into the workforce or what if in the event that our marriage didn't work out, I at least had something to fall back on? So first of all, spousal support. Right. You could have negotiated spousal support for many years. 
Yeah. And you could have figured out what the amount was going to be. And you could have figured out what the percentage of it would be based upon his income at the time. And you could have determined, um, you know, what the asset division would be. And and if he had a business, you could have determined what, what that split would be and how the buyout would occur. And maybe you could have negotiated yourself a home, frankly. I mean, you know, I, I've done these prenups where we literally have negotiated millions of dollars to be um, exchanged at the time of signing, essentially. Wow. So it is all possible. And if Lauren was going to, you know, to do some of the things that Lauren decided that, that she was going to do based upon your agreement together and the, I'm sure I'll take care of you, don't worry, Lauren, statement, right, which we hear so often, okay, then put your money where your mouth is and make sure that I'm taken care of. And Lauren could have sat at the negotiation table and made sure that she was taken care of because that, you know, baby, I'll take care of you later is not necessarily going to do anything for anybody at any point. Especially what I learned is you're going to negotiate regardless. You're either going to negotiate in the very beginning where it's roses and butterflies and you love each other, or you're going to negotiate later and you're going to have less bargaining chips to play with because now you're in the middle of it. It's not working out. And he, my at the time, my spouse, had all the money and the power. And all, all I wanted to do was get divorced, right? So I could not agree more. I think your answer is brilliant. Negotiate in the beginning. One of the things that I didn't know is a prenup actually is a bargaining chip for the lesser earning spouse in that way. Um, what do you think about something like lump sum payments throughout the marriage or in the event of a divorce? Um, I know you kind of alluded to that with on the signing day, there's millions transferred. Can you talk more about that? Sure. So lump sum payments are great and you can and and they build a nest egg for yourself. And so there could have been some percentage, for example, in your case of his earnings that became a lump sum payment that went directly to you and became your separate property, right? There also could be, um, and we see it all the time, there could be some sort of a lump sum payment based upon the years of marriage um, and the amount of the lump sum payment each year. And sometimes that lump sum payment will grow as the marriage in year zero, um, you know, zero to one, maybe there's nothing. OK, maybe then in year one, there's there's an amount and maybe it grows in year two and three and four and five. Right. And and year 15, you get like this major lump sum payment. You can negotiate all of that. And and that is often seen in prenuptial agreements. By the way, you could also negotiate so that you're not paying these lump sum payments. You could negotiate so that. Right. It works in both directions. Right. OK, it works in both directions. And. It's really making sure that you get to that negotiating table and to your point that you do it at the time when there's lots of love, there's lots of good feelings, not the day before the wedding right. when all the invitations have been sent and everybody's like waiting for you to walk down the aisle, okay, because all that is is a lot of stress and frankly, very good negotiations on the other side, mm -hmm. okay, and you have to think about that. You know, when people come to me with that prenup and it's just a couple of weeks before I say to myself, that was purposely done. That is intentional. There is no way, particularly when I hear that they've been talking about it for like, you know, the last year. And now we've just been handed the prenuptial agreement. So you need to, to really think about it. And it is how, how this negotiation takes place is going to give you some idea of the person you're marrying. Is this person open and transparent 
and willing to engage in, in negotiation and willing to hear you out and there to help protect you and this person as well? Or is this person in it for themselves? And that may be fine, but then you, again, it's your roadmap. You need to make sure you protect yourself. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I'm underlining, scoring, highlighting, circling. Yes, please take notes. Okay. So the thing about prenups is you're right. It's very thoughtful. It's very comprehensive. There's so many things to consider and think about, but it's also a stamp in time of when we get married. So what happens, you know, five years down the road, something changes or 10 years from now, we're like, Hey, our prenup says this, but it makes me feel uncomfortable because I actually want to do this instead now. Is there a way to edit your prenup later in the future if you wanted to? So there is. You could amend your prenup. You could also enter into a postnup. And postnup is essentially your prenup. And and remember, New York. Right. New York specific. Don't honor postnuptial agreements in the same way New York does, or maybe at all. Um, But in New York, you can certainly renegotiate. And maybe you want to enter into a postnup at that point and to to negotiate a postnup. And maybe things have changed. Somebody's become ill. You've had two or three children by now. Um, you know, somebody's career has really taken off. Um, you know, you decided you didn't really look at that prenup very carefully over the years and things have changed. Um, you can try to negotiate it. Now, I'm going to say you are now married. So if the other person doesn't want to come to the table, you're kind of in this position of, well, either I'm going to enter into this post up and we're going to do this. We're going to leave things alone. That's another choice. Or I have to I have to then decide if I'm going to stay in this marriage because this prenup may not be good for me anymore. Right. Okay. So it's wise to be very, very educated in the beginning and think about as much as you can in the prenup, prepare for every scenario, do the best you can, um, and then revisit if it makes sense. You do have options. Okay. Uh, what happens if somebody dies in a marriage in New York and they do not have a prenup? So the assets, so the assets would normally, okay, go to, well, first of all, there could be a will, there could be a trust. So they're going to follow the will, or they're going to follow the trust. And it's going to be divided up that way with remember the right to election. Okay, so you're going to get certainly a third of that estate, Um, things that are in joint names usually will pass to the other spouse, because they there is usually a right of survivorship. And then it's going to depend on the will, on the elective share, on the trust. So that's a pretty complex issue and it's got a lot of components to it. Got it. And so a prenup can essentially be the roadmap for what would happen in the event of and just iron all that out to begin with. Exactly. Okay. Do you think everyone should get a prenup? So I was asked this so many years ago and my answer is exactly the same, which is yes. Everybody should have a prenup. Everybody should have one because- you just never know what's going to happen in your life. And there's no downside to making your roadmap for yourself so that you can actually make a plan for yourself. Um, but I, I will say that most people still do not have these prenups and the costs involved in divorce are it's, divorce is expensive. In New York, it's really expensive. And it, that prenup is so important to have. I could not agree more, especially because one of the um, symptoms or things that also comes from the prenup process is not just the document itself, but the ability to have conversations about finances and 
also really get to know your spouse on a deeper level, because one of the things you're going to talk about is goals or where, what happens in the event of kids. And in some degrees, it can be really romantic, you know, talking about that future beach house that you want or talking about the three kids that you have, but also being really smart and strategic about, you know, in the event that this doesn't work out, I still want to make sure that we're both protected. So I could not agree more. I think it's at, at minimum a benchmark exercise that all couples should go through to get on the same page, whether they do it literally with legal or not. I love 100% that. 100% correct. What is something that you wish more people knew about the divorce process, especially those who never get a prenup because majority still don't? So I, I think that people have to understand that the divorce process is not a quick process. It, it's just, it could be if everybody is really engaged and understanding the finances, okay? And everybody can sit down at the table and really understand the finances and know what all the finances are. But in most cases, it's not that way. Somebody is definitely more knowledgeable about the finances than the other person. And so there are definitely steps, discovery, um, you know, negotiations, figuring out what the assets are, identifying them. You may need a forensic accounting firm. You may need, you know, a, a vocational analy analysis performed. There are so many parts of it. And I think the most important piece is that you need to, to keep your stamina. Like mm -hmm. you need to get a lot of those energy bars because if you get worn down during the divorce process, you will not do as well. And you can't let yourself get worn down. You need I, to stay the course. I can attest to all of that because eventually what happens is, so my divorce lasted two years. And at the end, at, by the two year mark, I was like, I will sign anything and you walk away, nobody walks away happy, right? It's a, it's a stressful scenario. And, and I did not take my energy bars or my Wheaties or my Flintstone vitamins. I just gave up. I threw my hands up and said, tell me where to sign. Um, so I agree. And even though we had our prenup, I wish I was more empowered and invested and knew that I could negotiate and do all these things to mitigate that two-year divorce. But at the same time, I, I just have to say, I agree. It's expensive. It's very, very tiresome. Um, and it's very, very long. But- yeah. What you have to remember is that it's tiresome now, but the idea is to be free after, right? And to make sure that you have done all that you can to plan for your future. So it, it is tiresome and it is, it definitely takes stamina and it can be wearing, but there is a goal. I mean, there's obviously the goal of, of not being with this person, and that is the end to a partnership. And in New York, it's the end to a financial partnership in many ways. And the other goal is to be able to have a plan for your future. And if you do not take the time to do that, that's a problem. Yeah, I could not agree more. So why not have the plan built out before the marriage instead of, oh my God, I need an exit plan ASAP to get out of this. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time today, Lisa. I could talk to you forever and ever and ever and ever. What's one final thought that you want all engaged couples to walk away from this episode with? Go get your prenup. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's such a good idea. Go and 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 figure out what it is. Sit down with your, your spouse-to-be. Talk about it. Talk about the idea of a prenup. This is not something negative. And if somebody approaches you with the idea of signing a prenup, it's fine. It, it, it's just that you need to negotiate it. Absolutely. And understand what you're signing. Thank you so much for your time today, Lisa. Where can people learn more about you, your firm, and especially Savvy Ladies? 
So SavvyLadies.org, it's it's literally the way that I just said it. Um, and they should go to the website and there is plenty of literature, webinars, panel discussions, um, you know, everything. And then the helpline information. And then if they want to learn about me, I have a blog and they can contact me through that. It's lisaziderman.com. And they can call my office at 914-455-1000 or email me at lz at mzw-law.com. You're the best, Lisa. Thank you so much for your time today. And please reach out to her with any of your New York-related questions. I know she'd be happy to hear from you. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren. It was a delight. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got a ton of value from this episode. And if you need a prenup, you know what to do. Head over to helloprenup.com and start your free account with your fiance now. Like we always say here at Hello Prenup, you're writing your life story together. So make sure you're on the same page. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.